Brother Doug and the grace and the call on his life. And believe God to use him in the, in the remainder of this service. Uh, Father, in Jesus' name, we receive Brother Doug. And we know that you have put a lot into him over a lot of years. And we respect the call on his life. We honor the anointing that you've placed on him and the revelation that you've given him. And we ask together for ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts that can discern and understand. Give us exactly. Speak through him and minister through him. And give us, Lord, in the moving of the Holy Spirit in the congregation and your holy angels exactly what you would that we should see and hear and understand and receive. And we'll not be hearers only, but with your help, doers. And put it into practice and get the results and see miracles and, and, and see your glory. We ask it in Jesus' name and we thank you for it. Amen. Amen, Amen means so be it. Praise God. Brother Doug, take your liberty, sir. Thank you, sir. Glory. Turn around and shake hands with that one next to you. If you don't know what their name is, find out who they are. If they're a visitor, go ahead and greet them. Welcome them back. Encourage them to come back. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, it's good to be back. And uh, I've got my wife of 40, 40 years. Cheryl, if you will stand. And uh, as that little lady said, you know, pointing to that person that was up there for, for looking young, are, are we doing okay? Yeah, okay, thank you very much. All right, all right, all right. And uh, so uh, she keeps me young, trust me. Younger sometimes than I really want to be, you know, so uh, <laughs> she wants me to do things. No, no, I don't want to do those because that's, that's for a young person to do, you know, and you end up having to do them anyway, you know. <laughs> then I have my son and his new bride, Felicity and Stephen, if you will, stand. <clears throat> Our little Felicity is, is headed over to uh, India Tuesday. She's dedicating the orphanage that she funds through her through her organization, and uh, it's an amazing, amazing, uh, and each time I hear about it, uh, it's just, I'm amazed at what God has done through her for these little children. They have 11 in the orphanage right now, from the ages of 6 through 11, and uh, she's going over there, and she'll be over there a month, and uh, Stephen was going to go, but he's got business to do, you know, take care of the workplace, you know, and so, uh, so, uh, so he's funding it as she travels, but uh, and doing, I'm sure, a whole lot of prayer support too. So uh, we we look forward to the reports and and look forward to the pictures, really do. Brother Keith talked about the fact that uh, we've worked for Brother Hagen really since, to be honest with you, about since 1975, and um, I believe stronger today that I'm called to do what I that I'm doing today. Um, I cannot tell you. Uh, how, how evident the grace of God has been over the last number of years to be able to help individuals that are, that are struggling um, in ministry. Like he said, maintaining 40 years of ministry can be difficult, but not impossible. And um, it's amazing to me the help that I've been able to give through the grace of God, not of my own self. I look at where I've come from and 
what I've done, maybe even some of the mistakes I've made. And uh, I'm completely amazed, seriously, as to what God has allowed me to do. There was an individual that came into my office this last week, unexpectedly. And uh, we sat down, and he's 60 years of age and struggling in ministry, and God gave me, by His Spirit, gave me some things to say. So much so that I was pretty wore out after about being with that individual for about an hour and a half. And I finally told my secretary, I said, you know, I'm done for the day. And, uh, but I was able to help. And that's what this thing's all about. Amen? And uh, I believe very strongly in the fruit that Brother Hagen produced through his ministry. And I believe that it is to be cared for and nurtured. And uh, so that's what I believe I'm called to do. I've been many individuals over the years try to convince me otherwise to go out and do other things. And now I know what I'm called to do. Not always been real good at it. Not always been very cooperative with it. But I'm a whole lot better today than I was years back. And I'm thrilled to be where I'm at. And I'm proud of it. And so I'm real, real excited about being with you all tonight also. We do have our, our book table back in the back. Um, these are the three books that I have. Uh, from 19, um, 1989 until 1998, uh, I taught in human school. Brother Keith actually taught in the afternoon sessions, and I taught in the morning sessions. It was a very, it was a very strong learning time for me. Changed, changed my life in many ways. And uh, you know as well as I do that if you teach on something for, for nine solid months, uh, not nine years rather, nine years, uh, day in and day out every week of the year, uh, you know as well as I do, you're going to just stumble on some truths. And, um, and, so, uh, and so the first, the first book was written, uh, Positioning Yourself to Receive Healing. I found out this to be true, that there's certain beliefs that an individual needs to have in order to receive healing by faith. You just can't believe what you want to believe. How many of you know that's true when it comes to salvation? Right. You just can't believe what you want to believe and get born again. Right. You know, and some people want to believe that they just live a good life and everything will be all right, you know. But the Bible is very clear about it, that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that there's a specific belief you must believe, that he was risen from the dead, you shall be saved. Well, there's certain beliefs that an individual needs to have in order to receive healing by faith, and that's outlined in this book. The second book is kind of a one-two punch of, of that first healing book, Understanding the Healing Power of God. This one was the result of, uh, I traveled with Brother Hagin for years and years and years as his crusade director, and uh, when he would lay hands on folk, he'd say this, the moment I lay my hands upon you, the healing power of God will be administered to your body, but what you do with it after that is up to you. And um, that, that, that issue struck me hard. What do you do once you've been prayed for, you've had hands laid on you, what do you do? Uh, this book talks about uh, what do you do after that power has been administered to your body? How, how, to, how, how to nurture it and uh, how, to, how to tend it. And uh, so that's kind of a one-two punch, if you will. And then our last book is uh, Mastering the Silence. Um, when it comes to the mind, there's two main arenas that the mind that has to be addressed. The renewing of the mind and the maintenance of the mind. This book is not about the renewing of the mind. This book is about the maintenance of the mind. And I went through the word and I found that every individual that fell from their place, fell first in their thought life first. Beginning with Lucifer in heaven. And uh, on down through the line. And so this, this book is a huge book. Uh, when it comes to our thought life, how many of you know there's just some thoughts you need to cast down? Bring into captivity. 
There's some thoughts you, you, you must recognize, identify, and deal with. And so this book talks about it. These are $10 a piece. They're all three of them for $20. Everybody go, ooh. So you get to save, you can save 10 bucks if you buy all three of them. David, I'm going to give those to you. I'm going to just give that to you. So thank you, sir. And, uh, but, um, so they're back there, $20 for all three of them. Be, they'll be a blessing to you. John chapter 13, if you will. John chapter 13. Hallelujah. Years ago, uh, the Lord led me to begin to teach on the issue of love. And uh, in that time, I learned that one of the aspects of love is that love does what is the most beneficial thing it can do for the recipient at the moment. Love does what is the most beneficial thing it can do for the recipient at the moment. And so I talked a lot about that, but I'll never forget there was a time that I was preparing to go to school and begin to teach, and um, the Lord kind of just, I don't know, in my own heart, I kind of heard this question. If love does what's the most beneficial thing for the recipient, uh, you know, at the moment, then what's the most beneficial things that the Lord has done for me? Ask me. What is the most beneficial things he's done for us? And there's a lot of things we could talk about tonight. But I want to talk about the five core issues. The five issues, the five areas, the five most beneficial gifts that our Heavenly Father has ever given to us. And I found this to be true. The, the health of our life depends upon how much honor we give these five gifts. How much respect we give these five gifts. How much significance we place upon these five gifts. How much weight we put on these issues. These five issues are the biggies. And I'm going to put them in, a, in, a, in an order and I'm going to do it on purpose. I believe the most beneficial gift that our Heavenly Father has ever given to us is righteousness. They which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. And so it's very clear here that he was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. The very purpose of the cross was to make righteousness available to you and I. So knowing, knowing who we are in relationship to him, knowing our position with our Heavenly Father is a huge issue, and the more weight you give that, the more significance you place upon that particular truth, the better off our lives will be the better off our prayer life will be, the better off our faith life will be. In every area, our life is better because we begin to realize who we are in relationship to Him. We are the righteousness of God in Christ. There's much to be said about that. Number two, the second gift in this order is the Holy Spirit. It's very interesting that the first thing that uh, people are talked about in the book of Acts after they get born again is have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And all of a sudden, anybody who gets born again in the book of Acts, you know, all of a sudden, somebody mentioned to them about, the, or they're filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the second greatest gift our Heavenly Father has ever blessed us with. How we honor Him, how we treat Him, how we respect Him is going to play a significant role in our lives uh, because as we, as we walk our Christian life. Can I have an amen? amen? Number three, in this order, is the Word of God. Because you have to realize this, that the Spirit of God will take you into the Word of God. He'll reveal to you the Word of God. The Word of God 
is a huge gift in our life. But it's not more important than righteousness. And, and the Spirit of God will lead us and guide us into all truth. And we'll talk about that in a moment. This Word of God here again and the honor that we give it. And, and the amount of respect that we give it. And the significant role that it plays within our life is going to really, if you will, determine the, the health of our marriages, the health of our mind, uh, in every area of our life. Number four. The fourth gift that I found this to be true, that our Heavenly Father has given to us, not only has He given us righteousness, not only has He given us the Holy Spirit, He's given us the Word of God. Number four, He's given us ministry gifts. Ministry gifts that are so concerned about us that they refuse to allow us to remain immature, babies, children. Their their role is to help us to grow up. It's a significant gift. And the amount of respect that we give these gifts... And the amount of honor plays a significant role in the progress of our life as a Christian and as a believer. Number five, the fifth and last gift that I can think of that our Heavenly Father gave us that's significant in all of our lives, and that is community. Our Heavenly Father put us in a family. Our Heavenly Father put us in a body. And we are to learn that we are in the body and that we have many members in our body. And that, this, and that this body is to flow together and it's to work together. And the quicker we learn that, the more respect that we give to that. The longer I'm in ministry, the, the, more, the, more, the more it seems to me just is clearer than ever that I can't do everything for all the body of Christ. But I can do my part. I can play my role. I can supply my, my supply. But the thing about it is, is here again, all of these things play a significant role in our lives. And once again, the honor that we give these five areas is huge. But I want to kind of hone in on one particular one, and I want to hone in on the second one. Go with me, if you will, to John chapter 13. And I want to hone in, if you will, on the Holy Spirit. The last time I was with you, we talked much about being led by the Spirit of God. But I want to talk about another aspect of the Holy Ghost that all of us need to understand and cooperate with on a regular basis. This, this area needs to be given much weight, much honor. And I want to begin, if you will, in John 13. And I'm going to begin in a rather strange place in verse 1. John chapter 13. Because any time you go to John 13, we're always going other places. John chapter, John chapter 13. Let's get after this thing. Now, before the Feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world into the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them until the end. Supper being ended, the devil having now put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. And after that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, underline this phrase. When Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world into the Father. Suddenly, Jesus became aware of the fact that his life was about to end. He did not have this consciousness any time before this. He knew that there would be a time, but he operated completely you know, carefree of this consciousness and, and this awareness that, that his life... But suddenly he became aware of the fact that his life is about to end. And I thought a lot about that. 
What would I do if I suddenly begin to become aware of the fact that my life is going to end? What would I do? And I know exactly what I would do. If I all of a sudden came to the realization that my life is going to end, I'm going to pull my wife into the house. I'm going to pull my son and my daughter into the house. I'm going to pull my daughter-in-law in the house and my son-in-law in the house and my grandbabies. I've got five of them now. And I'm going to pull all of them in the house. And I'm going to pour into their life what they will need to know in order for them to carry on after I'm gone. During that time, we're not going to be talking about a lot of fluff. We're not going to be talking about a lot of unnecessary things. We're going to be talking about the most important things that they will need to know in order for them to carry on after I'm gone. I find it very interesting that as you go through the Word of God, there are many of these types of speeches throughout the Word. Deuteronomy chapter 31, all of a sudden Moses became aware of the fact that his life was about to end. And he did exactly what I would do. He pulled all those that he loved into the house. He pulled all of Israel into the house and he began to pour into them in Deuteronomy 31 what they would need to know in order for them to carry on after, after he is gone. To me, these, these types of communications are significant because they're going to be very pointed. They're going to have you know, a significant amount of importance. Uh, here again, these things should be considered by all of us. And so Moses pulled in Israel and spoke into their life what they would need to know in order for them to carry on after he is gone. After he got done with Israel, he pulled Joshua in the house and spoke into his life what he would need to know in order for him to carry on after he is gone. Moses passes away. Joshua becomes the leader of the children of Israel. And Joshua, in Joshua chapter 23 and 24, all of a sudden Joshua becomes aware of the fact that his life is about to end. And Joshua does the exact same thing that, that Moses did, his spiritual father. He went ahead and pulled together all, all the people that he loved, all of Israel, into the house, and he spoke into their lives what they would need to know in order for them to carry on after he is gone. Joshua chapter 23 and 24. I find it very interesting that Paul, on his, on his, on his um, third missionary journey, Paul had come to the conclusion uh, that uh, in, in, uh, in, in Miletus, that uh, uh, with the elders of the church at Ephesus, he had come to the conclusion that his life was about to end. And he spoke into their life some very poignant things in Acts chapter 20. These, 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 these times when an individual, when a leader suddenly begins to realize that his life is about to be over with is significant. Jesus suddenly became aware of the fact that his life is about to end. And the moment that he became aware of that, he changed his entire ministry from a public ministry to a disciple ministry. He pulled all of the disciples into the house and he begins to teach them, he begins to share with them what they will need to know in order for them to carry on after he is gone. And he does it in a very significant way. If you have a red letter edition Bible, I'd like you to begin to turn with me, Will, in John chapter 13. And, and look how all of a sudden things start turning red. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. John 14, almost all red. Jesus is pouring into his disciples what they would need to know in order for him to carry on after, after he's gone. John chapter 15 is all red. John chapter 16 is almost all red. John chapter 17, almost all read. And he ends John 17 in verses 24, 25, and 26 by a prayer to the Father about these disciples. And then after this is all ended, 
then Judas betrays him, and you know the rest of the story. In John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus is teaching his disciples what they will need to know in order for them to carry on after he is gone. He is going to leave this entire uh, mission, this entire mandate uh, uh, on their doorstep. And it's going to be for them to carry on after he's gone. Now, don't you know, if all of a sudden he began to realize that his life is about to end, he's going to be talking about the most significant things. And he's not going to be mincing any words about it all. And as you begin to read John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, now listen to me now very carefully, and you read these chapters quickly. You know, the thing about it is, if you begin to read these chapters slowly, you're going to get caught up with a word. You're going to get caught up with a phrase or maybe a sentence. And you may camp on that sentence or that, or that word or that phrase for three months, you know. But it seemed like to me that the Lord was encouraging me, I want you to read these things fast. Because when you read something quicker, quicker than you normally do, you kind of get the, from a bird's eye standpoint. How many of you have ever been to a professional football game? You've been in the stadium. And isn't it true that once you get out of the professional uh, you know, stadium, you go home and you flip that program back on for the replays, and they show a bird's eye, a blimp's view of that. Isn't it true? It kind of puts things in a little bit different perspective. Because before, you're in the middle of the crowd. You're, you're, you're shoulder to shoulder, man. You've got people all around you. You really don't know where you are in, you know, in relationship to everything else. But when you see that bird's eye view, then all of a sudden you get a clearer picture as to what's going on. Jesus encouraged me to go ahead and read this thing quickly. And what I found, as I did, there was two main subjects that surfaced. That tells me then that Jesus ended his earthly ministry teaching his disciples on two main things. If you look at these chapters, chapters 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17, the first thing that comes out is the issue of love. Is the issue of love. Not only of the loving one another issue, but also, if you will, loving God issue. There's much to be said about that in these chapters. And so Jesus knew that if we are going to promote his cause after he is gone, the most significant difficulty we will face is our relationship with one another. Because in John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus did not commission you to love the world. Jesus commissioned you to love one another. It's a command. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. Implying to me, because it's a command, it's not going to be just a natural thing that flows out of us automatically. It's going to have to be something that we're going to have to submit our wills to and submit our lives to and say, no, you're not going to act that way. That person is a one another. That person is a believer. How many of you understand this? It's a whole lot easier to love perfect strangers than people that you know. Yes, Isn't that true? Yes, sir. Isn't it true it's a whole lot easier to be kinder to people at Walmart than it is kinder to people that you're really acquainted with? Isn't it kind of true that you're gentler with, with your words when it comes to people? 
really, really kind of come off as a, as a happy-go-lucky kind of a person when it comes to strangers, isn't that right? <laughs> yes, sir. Because, because you're so, you don't have a great Christmas, you know, and you, you walk out and climb in the car with somebody that you know, and, and you rail them up one side and down the other because, you, well, we just know one another. I mean, it's just, you know, bam, you, and, you know, and, and because I know you, you know, well, then I can talk to you any way I want to talk to you. Right. But the thing about it is, he realizes this is a huge, huge issue that if we're going to promote his cause and, and, and promote his mandate after he is gone, we are going to have to be experts at loving one another. Can I have an amen? amen. Experts at it. I mean, we are to be good at it. But number two, the second thing that he t- talks about in, in, in these letters to, uh, or in this, in this time of uh, ministry to the disciples is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And so what Jesus is telling them is this. In order for you to progress, in order for you to be successful and continue on with the mission that I have called you, you're going to have to be people who love well. And you're going to have to be people that are familiar with and aware of the Holy Ghost that is within you. Because I want you to notice here that I said that when Jesus started talking about the Holy Spirit, He's talking about the Holy Spirit in these chapters of Him in us. Nowhere in these chapters does Jesus talk about the Spirit of God flowing through us. He only speaks of Him flowing in us, His ministry in us. So many individuals want to become experts at the Spirit of God flowing through them when they've been poor students when it comes to the school of the Spirit of God working in them. Y'all doing okay today? Yes, sir. Because if you don't learn how to cooperate with Him as He's working in you, then I just kind of question the sensitivity of your life to the Spirit of God when He desires to flow through you. When we start talking about the Spirit of God flowing through us, we're talking about the manifestations of the Holy Ghost. We're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 12 stuff. Uh, The nine gifts of the Spirit. Workings of miracles and gifts of healings. But I want you to notice here that in John chapter 13 through 17, there's no mention of those things in here at all. The primary focus of the ministry of Jesus to his disciples is, is you're going to have to become aware of, knowledgeable of, the Spirit of God working in you. Everybody say, in you. Go with me, if you will, to John. John chapter, if you will, 14. John 14. In John chapter 14, Jesus kind of begins all of this in verse 16. John 14, verse 16, very familiar passage. John 14, verse 16. He says these words, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you, and I'm, I'm sure Brother Keith talked about this, another comforter. One after the same sort, after the same man. How many of you know, guys, we are not shortchanged by Jesus sitting up there at the right hand of the Father and the Holy Ghost down here. We are not shortchanged one bit. Jesus actually said it himself, it's more expedient for you that I go up there and him be down here than for me to be down here and him be up, here, up there. It's more, it's more necessary, it's more beneficial for you and I as believers to have the Spirit of God in us than Jesus walking in the flesh around us. More beneficial. 
And so he says very clearly, and I will give you, I will, and I will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. I find it very interesting that in these last speeches of people that, that, that believe that they're about to pass away, they're constantly reminding the people that they love that he will be with you. That he will be with you. Why is that? Because there's a natural tendency of mankind to drift over into, I'm alone. I'm all by myself. I'm in this thing, just me, myself, and I. Listen, guys, you are not alone. You have the Spirit of God dwelling within you. But notice what it says here. He says, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the, underline it, the Spirit of truth. Underline that phrase. Jesus called the comforter, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of truth. Then go with me, if you will, to John 15, one chapter over. John 15. John 15, verse 26. Let's move along. John 15, verse 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the, underline it, Spirit of Truth, underline that phrase. Then, lastly, John 16, verse 13. John 16, verse 13. How be it, when he, underline it, the Spirit of Truth is come. Jesus called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, three times in a row. He is the Spirit of Truth. This another comforter. The Holy Spirit that dwells within us, He is the Spirit of Truth. Now, what will the Spirit of Truth do once He comes? Go with me, if you will, to John 14. He'll do four things. John chapter 14. John 14. It says these words, John 14, verse 26. John 14, verse 26. Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the, Holy, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, number one, underline it, he will teach you all things. He will teach you all things. What will the Spirit of Truth do when he comes? He will teach you all things. Number two, same verse. And number two, here we go, underline it. And bring all things to your remembrance. When the spirit of truth has come, Jesus said he will teach you all things. And he will bring all things to your remembrance. These are things that we should be expecting the spirit of God to do. How many of you realize that when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit of God, they're as the Holy Ghost wills? We're to make ourselves available to the Spirit of God that that if He chooses and needs a vessel that we're available, that He can flow through as He sees fit. But when it comes to these things spoken of in John 13, John 14, 15, 16, 17, these are promises that Jesus stated that He will do when He comes. In other words, you don't have to, you, you don't have to convince Him to do these things. You don't have to, he will, do, he will teach you all things and He will bring all things to your remembrance. Amen. John chapter 16. John 16. John 16, verse 13. He'll do four things. He will teach you all things. He'll bring all things to your remembrance. Now look at John 16, verse 13. How be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come, 
Number three, here it is. He will guide you into all truth. He will teach you all things. He will remind you of things that have been said. And he will guide you into all truth. Number four, let's keep reading just for a second here. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. Number four, here it is. And he will show you things to come. Jesus said, when the Spirit of God comes, he will teach you all things. He will remind you of things. He will guide you into all truth. And he will show you things to come. Do you see here the primary work of the Spirit of God in us is going to be that of a teacher and not a miracle worker. Listen to me now very carefully. When it comes to the Spirit of God in us, His primary work in us as a believer is going to be that of a teacher. He's going to teach you all things. He's going to guide you into all things. He's going to remind you. He's going to show you things to come. His primary work in our lives is going to be that of a teacher. But isn't it kind of interesting that the majority of us, especially in the charismatic movement, that, that we want to see him as a miracle worker. But let's just, let's just face it, guys. The majority of our marriages are not going to be saved as a result of a miracle. The majority of our marriages are going to be saved as truth is revealed and we apply those truths to our marriage. Come on, guys. Health comes into our marriages. Isn't it true in reality, to be honest with you about it, promotions on the job probably are not going to be so much so in the arena of the miraculous as it is truth applied. And all of a sudden you kind of make yourself, and all of a sudden you're pointed out and the promotion comes your way. No, when it comes, when it comes to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, it's going to be more of a teacher than, if you will, a miracle worker. And, but isn't it kind of interesting that, 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 that when the Spirit of God teaches us something, when the Spirit of God reminds us of something or shows us something to come, isn't it kind of interesting that we, that we don't give it the amount of respect, the amount of honor that really we should be giving these things to? Because isn't it kind of interesting that when a miracle occurs... When all of a sudden the blind eye is open, man, we just rejoice. We come unglued. We're so excited. But what about those services when there is no blind eye opened? What about those services when there is no lane that walks? What about those services when there is no tumors that are disappearing? Is the Spirit of God absent from that service? No. Listen, if the truth has been revealed, because if you're reminded of something from the Word of God, that's as much of a move of the Holy Ghost as if a blind eye had just been opened. Much as a move of the Holy Ghost. For some reason, we have downplayed the teaching arena as not being enough Holy Ghost. In fact, there's actually been people that have said, because there wasn't any tongues or interpretation, because there may be not a miracle, well, the Spirit of God didn't show up in that surface at all. Wait, 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 wait. Was, was the truth taught? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, did he remind you of some things that you need to kind of make some adjustments? Yeah, he did. Did he show you some things that you need to kind of step into now? Uh, because, because you're ready to go. Oh, yeah. That's as much of a move of the Spirit of God. Come on, guys. Amen. And so can you see here, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, that what he's simply saying is this. If you're going to progress in this Christian life, if you're going to be carrying on this mandate, you're going to have to posture yourself in two arenas, ever learning and ever loving. 
Come on, guys. Ever learning. Ever loving. Ever learning. Ever loving. As you read these, these four or five chapters, he's encouraging us. You ever love. You love. And you keep learning. I found it very interesting that when it comes to my age, I'm 64 years old now. When it comes to my age, it seems like a lot of my friends have quit learning. They quit studying. They're just kind of back down. No, I'm sorry. The posture that we are to maintain in life as a believer until we see him face to face or until we meet him in the air or until we pass away, we are to be ever loving and we are to be ever learning. Amen. He's going to be that of a teacher. And so any time that he teaches us something, reminds us something, we need to place honor upon that, respect that, uh, put some significance to it. But we are warned. We're warned, if you will. Go with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians. Warned by Paul about a certain type of activity that can, if you will, um, disconnect us from the effectiveness of the ministry of the Spirit of God in our lives. Actually, if you will, plug up the progress that the Spirit of God intends to generate in our lives by showing us something, by revealing something to us, by, 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 by reminding us something. We can plug that, that whole thing up. And we're warned by, by Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter, eight, chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. Verse 18, Paul says to the Thessalonians, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Verse 19, underline it, quench. Quench not the Spirit. Despise not prophesying. I'd encourage you to underline the word quench. I'd encourage you to underline the word despise. Verse 21, underline the word prove all things and then underline the word hold fast to that which is good. Paul encourages us as believers that we are not to quench the Spirit. Implying that we are capable I'll never forget, I was uh, studying at that time of uh, the, mastering the silence issue on, on the mind. And I got over into Ephesians 6, and above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And I would look at that verse, and I'd look at that whole entire thing, and, and I was struggling because I thought to myself, how do you quench the fiery darts? And I struggled with it because in that, in, that, in, that, in that Ephesian passage, in the context of that passage, you're really not told how to do it. So I thought to myself, if I can go elsewhere in the Bible and find out where the word quench is used, especially in the New Testament, maybe I can find some indications as to how this is supposed to be done. And so I went throughout the entire New Testament and found out that the word quench is only used like six or seven times in the entire New Testament. And only, only two of them are spoken to us. Instructions given to us. He says in Ephesians 6, you are to quench the fiery darts. 
But in, but in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, you are to not quench the Spirit. And I thought to myself, if I can figure out what it means to quench the Spirit, then I can figure out what it means to quench the fiery darts. And so I begin to go through the Word and begin to learn about what it means to quench the Spirit. Now, I don't know about you, and I don't know about your backgrounds and where you all have come from, but I've grown up in the church. I grew up as soon as a God. And um, I was saved as a young man, spirit-filled in the Symbols of God church. And, and um, I had been given the impression that when the Spirit of God is quenched, hi Karen, when the Spirit of God is quenched, when the Spirit of God is quenched, that um, he just kind of picks up his ball and bat and leaves the room. And I'm thinking to myself, really? Really? He picks up the ball and bat and leaves the room because we quenched him? This was the implication. And so I got to thinking about that one day, and I, uh, for some reason my mind went to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul called those Corinthians, Christians, carnal, full of envy, strife, and division. Everybody say envy, envy. Strife. strife, division. division. I thought, ooh, that's, that's quite a church, you know, <laughs> full of it. Not growing up at all, still, still carnal, still babies. And, and then in chapter 5, he, he kind of uh, gets on them because they've got a fornicator that they're real proud of and really haven't done anything about. Sleeping around with your, with, with your, with, with your, with your, with your stepmama. And you guys haven't really done anything about it. So here you have this church that's full of envy, strife, and division. They got a fornicator that they're a little proud of, never have dealt with it, you know, sleeping around with his father's, with, with, with his father's wife, his stepmama. And then in chapter 10, he deals with the Corinthian church about getting drunk during communion. Now that's quite a church. I mean, that's serious. Some bad stuff. And yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, Paul says these words, How is it then, my brethren, that when you come together, every one of you have the psalm, every one of you have the tongue, every one of you have interpretation, every one of you have a... And I'm thinking to myself, wait, 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 wait. If any, if any church ought to quench the Spirit, if the Spirit ought to pack up his bags and walk out of any church, it ought to be that one. <laughs> Are you all out there? And so I knew right then and there that my concept of this whole thing was all messed up. More tr religious tradition, if you will, governing my, my thoughts about this thing. The, the, the really what should be allowed to. So I begin to look at these words. Listen to what it says here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. And everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench, quench not. There is a quench not. In other words, we're admonished. Quench not the Spirit. Now you understand that when we start talking about quenching the Spirit, we're not just talking about quenching the manifestations of the Holy Spirit found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 the nine gifts of the Spirit. He says, quench not the Spirit. That means then, every avenue that the Spirit flows through us can be quenched. So that means then, for me personally, there are three primary avenues, there are some other ones, but three primary avenues of the Holy Ghost in the ministry of the believer's life today. That is, the ministry of the Spirit of God through us, through the nine gifts of the Spirit, it's possible for us to quench those, those nine gifts. Number two, 
leadings of the Lord, being led of the Spirit, inward witnesses, it's possible for you to quench those inward witnesses. Listen to me. And number three, it's also possible for each and every one of us to quench what he has just taught us, reminded us of, showed us to come, the truth that he just guided us into, it's possible for you and I to quench those truths. It's not just about public ministry. There's a lot of stuff that can be happening on the inside of you that he's just kind of reminded you of something. You're capable of quenching that. So we better know what we're talking about here. Better know what this looks like. Because any time, any time the Spirit of God reveals something to your life through a teaching or reminds you of something that he's trying to been dealing with you about in the past, any time that happens, the Spirit of God is simply saying this, if you'll make this little bit of an adjustment, your life will be better. Y'all doing okay today? Y'all all right? How many of you know when the Spirit of God brings up an issue in your life and reminds you of something that, that He's been talking to you about that needs to be handled? He's simply saying to you that if you'll make this little bit of an adjustment, life will be better. The amount of honor that we give those little suggestions. And the Spirit of God will not always will not always make big suggestions. And the Spirit of God will not pile on you and, and make multiple suggestions in multiple areas. He'll kind of hone in on one area and make one little suggestion. And, and he knows that if you'll just make that little bit of an adjustment in your life, your life will be better. But, but we have the capability of quenching that little suggestion. The other day, I was ministering in Tucson, Arizona. And um, I was sitting there, ready to go. And, uh, and uh, the pastor was up speaking on uh, uh, giving. And he went over to um, Proverbs chapter 3. And he was actually reading verses 4, 5, and 6 in, in that area. And while he's reading that, trust in the Lord with all thy heart, as he's reading those verses, my eyes fell to a couple of verses below that. Honor the Lord with the first fruits of your substance. And the instant my eyes saw those, those words, I was reminded, listen to me now very carefully, of a stream of income that I had never tithed off of or given from. There was other streams that, oh yeah, not a problem. But there was this one, this one stream of income that I had, that I have to this day, that I had never tithed off of or given from. And the Lord dealt with me about that, highlighted that. Now, how many of you realize I, I could have walked away from that? Because I justified it in times past. But this is something that the Lord is dealing with me about. 
So I, I went home and I told my wife about it. I said, we're going to start giving off of that, that stream. We're going to start tithing off of that stream. And I'm not going to get into it, but I can tell you a number of different things that have happened, since, and that's only been about three months ago, that have happened to me as a result of that of me, of me obeying. If you're not real careful, you can quench what he has reminded you of. You can also quench leadings of the Lord. We'll talk about it in a moment. There's an individual that I'm thinking of right now. They were missionaries to Central America. And they had come home. They were Rhema grads. They had come home from, um, from uh, a, a time on the field. And, um, and they were living in Dallas but needed to make a trip to Tulsa. And um, the wife told me afterwards that um, before that trip occurred, um, he said, um, you know, I, I, I need to change those tires out before we go to Tulsa. Those van tires are just not... Well, he got busy and overrode it. Long story short, on the way to Tulsa, they rolled, that, that, that front tire blew, they rolled that van, he died, she lived. You'd probably know him, you might even know him. And um, every time, now she's remarried now, she's doing well, but every time she sees me, she said, Brother Doug, the only thing I can ever think about is his, my husband's words. I need, to, I need to change out those tires. You can quench leadings. Now, how do you quench the spirit? How do you quench these things? It's found in this word despise. The word despise, listen to this. Listen to this translation, Coney Bear translation. Quench not the manifestation of the Spirit. Listen to the NIV translation. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. The Berry translation. Do not extinguish the Spirit's fire. 20th century New Testament translation says this, do not stifle the voice of the Spirit. The word quench, if you look up the word quench in the Strong's Concordance, it means this. It means to extinguish. To extinguish. If you look up in the Thayer's, it means this. It means to suppress or to stifle. And all, and all, of, these, all of these concordances and, 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 and dictionaries lend itself toward this arena right here. The word quenching is speaking and it gives referencing to things on fire. When I saw that, I had it. You know, as well as I do, that it's impossible to quench this match before it's lit. The word quench speaks of things on fire. They've been lit. It's impossible to quench the Spirit before He manifests Himself. The only way you can quench the Spirit is for the manifestation to have occurred. And it's how you treat that manifestation that determines whether or not you have quenched the spirit or not. You cannot quench an unlit match. The only way for you to quench the spirit is for a spirit of God to give you 
a, to remind you of something or to teach you something. And then after, after you have been reminded or have been taught the truth, then you are to protect that in order for you to allow it to do its work in your life that God intended for it to work. But what happens is so oftentimes we abort the whole process because we... Y'all doing okay? How many things? Brother Keith, you all know this. I don't have to... Amazing teacher. A man who's given himself to the teaching gift. And there is revelations coming out of him and hitting our hearts. But what are we doing with the master if they got them? We're reading our Bibles. Truths are being revealed. Things are highlighted. What do we do? Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Despise not prophesying. The word despise means this. To make of no account. Strong says this word of the word despise. To make utterly nothing of. To regard as worthless. To regard as worthless. Vines says this, to, re, to regard as nothing. What does this word despise lend itself toward? The value that you place upon the manifestation of the Spirit. The weight that you give it. The place of honor that you give that manifestation. That truth that he just revealed to you, are we treating it as nothing? Of little value? As a worthless thing? Can I put it to you like this? Are we treating these things as if they're common? Or are we treating them with the value and with the respect and with the significance that are due them? I almost brought it. I brought it with me, but I didn't bring it with me because I thought, well, my son gave me a watch. And um, a better watch than I would ever be able to afford. And so I told him, I said, son, I said, that, that watch you gave me, because I didn't wear it all the time, it, it, it's not keeping proper time. So he said, well, Dad, just take it in. You told me where to go. He said, that's where I bought it from. They know how to handle that watch. You take it in, find the warranty card. The warranty card will be in the box. And so I went and got the box, big old hunker of a box. And I went and found the warranty card. And um, I took that watch in. Shake it in my boots that they're going to, you know, make me pay for this repair. And in reality, to be honest with you about it. But he said it's in warranty, so he said it shouldn't be a problem. And so about a month went by, and so they finally called me that the watch was, the watch had been repaired and it's back in the shop. So I went, particular part of town that I don't normally go to, but, but uh, so I went, you know, picked up, got in the store, and uh, gave him my name, gave him the little receipt, 
And they brought that watch out. I should have brought it. I really should have. They brought that watch out in a leather case. Now this isn't, I didn't, when I brought the watch in, I just said, took it off my wrist. Here, fix it. They, when they returned that watch, it came in a leather case with a little snap on it with the, with the, with the name of the company that made the watch in the le- stamped in the leather. I probably couldn't have afforded the box. <laughs> Had a zipper around it. They opened that thing up. It's got a big old foam thing. A black foam, real nice, that that watch is fit snugly over. They pulled that whole foam thing out, you know, and pulled that foam thing out and gave me that watch. And thinking to myself, when something is of value, you treat it differently than things that are of lesser value. Are we really recognizing the value of the things that we're being, that, that one truth, that that, that thing that we've been just reminded of in that service, or as we read our Bibles, are we really recognizing how, 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 how valuable you realize that there are people that have read those same verses for years and never seen what you just saw? Yeah. Yeah. But yet the Spirit of God is saying, if you just make yourself a little bit of an adjustment. And so what he's simply saying is simply this, is, is if you treat these revelations, if you treat these things with little value as common, insignificant, then you're quenching the spirit. The value that you place upon the truth that you have received determines the degree of, of, of quenching or not quenching that is placed upon that truth. If you, if you hear a truth and, 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 you don't, and you don't treat it as with value, with respect, with significance, if you will, then you treated it as... You're guilty of, of quenching it. And how many realize the things that we think is common, the things that we don't understand the importance of, we treat it with a lot, with a lot more disrespect. In other words, can I put it to you like this? The majority of those truths that we treat as common, that we treat as worthless, that we treat as nothing, we will probably get out of this church service and not even be able to remember what the truth that the Spirit of God revealed to you while you're sitting in the service. You'll probably not even be able to remember it as you get out in the driveway. Spirit of God reveal anything to you? No. But yet, but yet there were some things that were revealed. Come on, guys. But because we didn't value them as we should, this issue, this issue of value determines whether or not we are guilty of quenching the Spirit or not. How much do we value that truth that we have just heard? Go with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 4. We're, we're going to hurry here. I, my time, I'm doing real good. I'm real good. I'm doing real good. So Mark 4. I'm watching my time. Mark 4. You know the story. The parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. You know the story. Good ground, you know, and stony ground and thorny ground and all that. Look at verse 20. We all know these verses. And these under they, Mark 4 and verse 20, and these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some 30, some 60, and some... Anyone who's ever read these verses has asked yourself the question, what determines the difference between a 30-fold crop, a 60-fold crop, and a, and a 100-fold crop? What's the difference? 
Verse 24 tells you what the difference is. Verse 24 tells you what the difference is. He says very plainly, he says these words. He said, and he said unto them, after he explained the whole thing, then in verse 21, you know, is a candle brought to be put underneath a bushel or under a bed? Not be on the candlestick. For there is nothing here that shall not be... Da, 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 da. Verse 24. Pay attention. Here it is. Pay attention to what you hear. Because in these parables of the sowers, every single ground, the wayside ground, the stony ground, the thorny ground, and the good ground, every one of them heard the word, the same word. He says, pay attention to what you're hearing. For with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you. And unto you that hear, more shall be given. Listen to the amplified version. And he said unto them, be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides, come on guys, will be given unto you. The measure, you got the amplified up there? Oh yeah. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear. The measure of thought and study that you give to the truth that you hear. I'll never forget, keep that up there if you will. I'll never forget years and years and years ago I was pastoring and I was teaching on this subject and I heard these words in my study. The degree of importance that we place upon what we hear determines the quality and the quantity of the fruit produced. The degree of importance that we place upon what we have heard. The degree of importance that we place upon what we have heard. Now I'm going to be real blunt about this and and, and Keith will just have to forgive me. Pastor Keith, uh, uh, Apostle Keith, whatever he's called, okay? Uh, 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 I'm sorry. It's just been Keith for too many years. I do apologize, and I do recognize your gifts. And anyway, and Phyllis is too, and Phyllis is too, and any of their dogs or cats that they have too, all right. But, but the thing about it is simply this. When I'm talking to my students, the majority of them have heard about Keith Moore. And I start talking about putting value upon what you have taught. And I'll just be real blunt about it. I'm sorry, Keith, but I do. How many of you know Keith Moore? No, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about students. I, I, ho- I, I hope you all know. I hope you all know him. If you don't, you've got a real problem. And how many of you know he's given himself and placed great amount of importance upon the Word of God? And my students go, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's the degree of importance that you place upon what you hear determines the quality and the quantity of the fruit produced. The measure of thought and study. And I wrote this down this this afternoon as I was getting ready. We are to value the Word of God, that truth that has been revealed to us, so much that we give it thought and study after we have received that truth. How much after the service thinking are we doing? How much after the service thinking are we doing? How, how, much, how much Monday morning thinking are we doing on the truths that we have heard 
that rung our bell, that just so excited us when we heard it, that we went out and bought, not bought, but because he gives it away, the CD and give it to five people at work. But how much real thought and study are we giving to the truths that we hear on, on, on Monday and, and a week from now? And, or are we letting some of these things get away from us? Y'all doing okay? You know what I'm talking about? We've all done it. James. James chapter 1. I'm doing good on time. James chapter 1. James 1. You know the story. Verse 22. But be doers of the word, and not just hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is likened unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholds himself, goeth his way, straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Verse 25. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he be not a forgetful hearer. Forgetfulness is the primary reason why we treat the word of God with little value, as worthless. We get so busy in our lives. Forgetfulness is always the result of having your attention on things of lesser importance. Well, you've forgotten. Why did you forget? Because you had your mind on other things. And and James James tells these individuals... If, if you want to change and not be that person that is a forgetful here, because how many of you understand this? The Word of God, if we are to place proper value upon it, then we cannot allow ourselves to forget it. Hmm. Things that you value, we got to go. Things that you value, things that you value, you keep before you until you do something about it. How many of you got sticky notes on your refrigerator reminding you to buy Christmas cards or birthday cards or anniversary cards? Come on, guys. You're, you're being reminded on, 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 your, on your refrigerator door. You, you're being reminded of something you need to keep before you until you do something about it. Can I see your hand? Okay, don't like that. Uh, how about mirrors in the bathroom? You got any sticky notes in mirrors? Thank you very much. Uh, how, many you got, how many of you got sticky notes in the car on the dash reminding you? Oh, thank you very much. How many of you got a wife? Let me see your hand, all right? So the thing about it is simply this. Isn't it true the things that we really feel like it's important for us to do and we don't want to miss it? My question is this. When a truth is revealed, like Brother Keith, as he's ministering the Word of God, are we we setting ourselves and are we making a note of that and putting it on the refrigerator and until we conform our lives around... Listen to what James says. He's got some really interesting statements here. He just uses two words. Verse 25. Looketh and continueth. Because, guys, even though you hear the Word, and even though you agree with the Word of God and receive it with joy, you can still quench it by forgetting it. You can still, you can still be, be put those truths in the category of, of insignificant, of common by simply forgetting it. We become guilty of quenching the Spirit of God. And James says, if you just do two things, 
When you see a truth that's revealed, look at it and continue it. The word look means this. It means to bend over. Let it catch your attention. Take a better look at it. To be honest with you about it, guys, when the Spirit of God says something in a church service, and, and, it's, it, and you can see that's the Spirit of God dealing with me about that situation, you need to check out of the service mentally right then and there. Just check out. Sit in the chair, but check out mentally. Because the Spirit of God is talking to you about that particular issue, and, and, and you need to make a note of that. You need to go ahead and, and put some, some significance to that, to that issue. This is an area that the Lord wants me to make some adjustments on because He knows that when I do, my life will be, my life will be better. Come on. Check out mentally. Make a note. Once you got that note, you can remember what, what the Spirit of God is dealing with you about and, and you're going to keep that note, then check back into the service and keep on going. But then he says this, not only are you to look at, in other words, you were to stop right then and there, bend over, take a better look at it. But the Bible says that he whosoever looketh into the perfect law of life and continueth therein. The word continueth means to remain near or to, be, or to remain by. Can I put it to you like this? When you see something in the word that you need to change in your life, when, when the Spirit of God reminds you of something, shows you something, reveals something to your life, stop right there. I mean take a better look at it. Let it catch your attention. And remain right by it. Remain right by it until you do something about it. How do you do that? I mean, does that mean that i got to just stay here by my note while everybody else turns the lights off and leaves the church? No, not at all. In other words, go home and keep it in your thought life. Remain right by it in your thought life. Keep it in your reminders note if you have to. Keep it on the refrigerator. Keep it in the dashboard. Keep, keep it by you until you do something about it. Because listen to me, guys. Even though you see something in the Word of God and you make a note of it and you, and you, um, and, and, and you're gonna, you, you decide, I'm gonna, I, I gotta deal with this situation. If it just stops right there, you're still guilty of quenching the Spirit because the only way you can totally eliminate quenching the Spirit out of your life is through obedience. Yielding to that truth, embracing that truth, wrapping your life around that truth. And when you have wrapped your life around that truth, you are no longer treating the word that you heard as common, as insignificant, as, 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 as nothing, as worthless. You're now treating it with the value that you are intended to treat it with, and that is personal application. Embracing the truth within your life. So quenching the Spirit of God is not just copping out an attitude and, no, no. You can receive truths from the Word. Agree with them. Make a decision. I need to make the changes. But never make the changes and you're still guilty of treating that with... Because here again, the only way for the truth of God's Word to really make a change in your life is for Him to go ahead and reveal it. Reveal it. Reveal it. And for you to nurture that Embrace it. Keep the flame burning until you do something about it. You're allowing the Word of God to make the changes it's going to go out that He's intended for it to make. But don't abort, don't abort the process by treating 
it is worthless. Quench not the Spirit. Father, we're just so grateful and so thankful for Your Word. So grateful, Father, that You have been a faithful Father to constantly, continually, Father, reveal truths into our lives about our marriages, about our thought life, about the way we conduct ourselves in our bodies, in our relationships toward our fellow man, in every area of our life. Father, You have been so so kind to continually remind us and teach us. Father, may we, may we treat each experience with the honor that is due it, giving honor to whom honor is due. And Father, I thank you that as we do, our lives will change. Father, I'm so grateful that even at 64 years of age, you're still bringing issues into my life where adjustments need to be made. And Father, I thank you that with this understanding that I do my best not to quench those things and treat it as, Father, give it the value that is to be intended to give it. And I thank you, Father, for the changes that it will continue to make in my life. And Father, I just pray for each and every one of us under the sound of my voice that, Father, that as as they read their Bibles, as they listen to their pastor, I thank you, Father, the truth will be revealed. That, Father, that they'll place the proper importance upon it, not let it get away from them, and eventually see the changes in their lives that you've promised us so clearly through your word. Father, we thank you for this church and for all that you've done through it. We're so grateful, Father, for its faithfulness, for its, for its, for its uh, uh, loyalty to the call of God upon their lives and the example that they are to literally thousands of believers throughout the world, tens of thousands. We just thank you, Father. We pray for them, that you'll continue to guide them and lead them and direct them. Thank you that their light will continue to shine brighter and brighter. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. God bless you.